Happy holidays, y'all. This is Unsuitable with Mary B. Saferit. It's a podcast for single Christians who are trying to navigate a culture obsessed with marriage without losing our minds in the process. We offer practical tips, honest conversations with other single Christians, and a feeling of companionship for those not walking the typical Christian path. Season 11 is a holiday special mini season all about how to manage the holidays as a whole human person who happens to be single. This week, we will depart from our usual format and dabble in the world of storytelling. Because, let's be real, sometimes escapism is actually a great way to reset when feeling overwhelmed. It's Christmas time, so it's the time of year for Hallmark movies. I am a woman living in the big city who travels to my family's small town farm every year, and thus I've decided to use those details to create my own riff on this storytelling style. Though I'll be writing in first person and using details from my actual hometown, it's important for you to know that this story and its characters are 100% fictional. Many of my own first person details are greatly exaggerated and fictionalized as well. Before we dive in, give me 15 seconds to tell you about a free guide I made to help single folks navigate the holiday season. The holidays can be a wild time, particularly for us single folks. But you're not about that life. You're looking for something to help you decompress and sort through the whirlwind of thoughts and feelings so you can enjoy the holidays on your terms. I made a free guided reflection just for you. Get your free copy of Single for the Holidays at the link in the episode description or at marybesafer.com slash links. All right, let's dive into today's episode. My crab pot Christmas tree always reminds me of home. It's a foot and a half tall, made by a local company that takes mesh traps used to catch crabs, reconfigures them into the shape of a tree, and attaches Christmas lights. It folds up perfectly to store in my tiny one-bedroom apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Every year, I take it out of its box, unfold it, and set it up on my media center right next to my TV. I hang my few ornaments, and suddenly, I'm back on the dock looking out at the marsh or on my parents' porch watching the cows graze in the pasture out back of their house. I make the trek to Beaufort every year. It's an hour and a half flight to Raleigh. From there, I rent a car and drive east for three hours until I hit the water. That year seemed like any other year. After a stressful year running a successful copywriting company in the fast-paced city, I was ready for a week of farm life, walking on the beach, and hitting up all my favorite hometown haunts. I got off the plane and into a white Ford Escape. Three hours later, I pulled into the quarter-mile-long driveway lined with pine trees planted by my grandmother. My old Australian cattle dog, Cappy, waddled out of the garage as I pulled up. He barked and wagged his tail as I climbed out of the car. I walked through the garage and into my parents' kitchen as he trailed behind me. Hey, Mom, I hollered. I could smell the mulling spices she kept on the stove during the holiday season. Behind the bar, I saw the 10-foot Christmas tree covered in lights and four decades' worth of accumulated ornaments. On the mantle, my mother had set up her carolish statues as she did every Christmas. Every inch of the house was seasonally decorated, from the china to the dog's blanket. It was all so familiar. Welcome home, my mom exclaimed, coming down the stairs. She hugged me and then surveyed my outfit. You look like such a New Yorker, she proclaimed, shaking her head. I glanced down at my black jeans, black coat, and black boots, then shrugged. What had she expected? A bright red Christmas sweater? Well, I am one, mom, I said. 
Cabby sniffed my legs and I bent down to scratch behind his ears. I'm going to drop my stuff upstairs and go for a walk on Front Street. I need to stretch my legs after being cooped up all day. Okay, my mom said, but when you get home, you should help your dad with the farm chores. The cows need to be fed. You're not too much of a city slicker to remember how to feed cows, right? I rolled my eyes. I've only been slinging bales of hay since I was eight, Mom. Of course I remember. I'll be back in a couple of hours. The drive downtown had changed over the years, ever since they finished the new high-rise bridge and tore down the old drawbridge. The drive took seven minutes, and I pulled into a parking spot at the far end of the main drag. Front Street ran along the water, lined with locally owned shops and restaurants. This time of year, the town was festooned with lights, garlands, and a large Christmas tree. There was a small red shed set up in the main square by the boardwalk, where Santa sat and listened to children's Christmas wishes. I strolled along the boardwalk. The sun was starting to set, and the holiday crowd milled around me. As I approached the dock house, I heard music. The dock house was an overpriced restaurant with okay food that served its drinks in cheap plastic cups. It was, however, also a cool venue for live music. The stage was set up outside, facing the boardwalk. It seemed a bit early in the day for live music, but it was a busy Saturday. As I walked closer, the voice sounded familiar. That's when I caught sight of him. It was Jeremy. Jeremy was a friend from high school. His family owned a few fishing boats and sold seafood to the local restaurants and markets. Back in the day, he was lanky and awkward and always smelled like the salt breeze. We'd become friends through the school's drama program. Hours rehearsing each year's musical will do that. In the decades since we'd graduated, I'd moved to New York and started a company. He had taken over the family fishing business. He was no longer lanky. In fact, he filled out his rugged flannel shirt quite nicely. I stopped and listened. He was singing about a girl and a pickup truck when we made eye contact. He grinned. Well, folks, it's about time for me to take a break. Grab yourselves another cold one and don't forget to tip your bartender. He set down his guitar and made his way over to where I leaned against the railing of the boardwalk. Well, well, if it isn't the big fish, come back to our small pond, he said. Well, well, if it isn't the fisherman running the pond, I said. He shook his head. You always did have a smart mouth. We hugged. How are you? How are your folks? I asked. Good. It was a hard year, but we made it, he said, taking off his hat and running his hand through his brown curly hair. I nodded. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I'll never forget the year your mom made all the costumes for The Sound of Music. I thought she was going to kill me when I ripped my nun's habit on the set. It was your fault, of course, but I don't think she's ever forgiven me. Now, hold on a minute, Jeremy said. In what world was that my fault? The way I remember it, you were the one who stole the conductor's baton. You were in the process of hiding it when you had that unfortunate run-in with the set. I rolled my eyes. You were the one who dared me to steal it, and you know I can't resist a challenge. Just then my phone rang. I looked at the screen. It was my assistant. It's work. Sorry, I need to take this. Well, hey, Jeremy said, if you can tear yourself away from your big fancy job, we should get a drink later. Sure, I replied absentmindedly. Backstreet Pub, 8 o'clock? I glanced up from my phone and saw the hopeful look in those deep brown eyes. I smiled. Yeah, that would be great. After an hour on the phone with my assistant, talking her through managing a client, I drove home. 
I changed out of my New York blacks and into old jeans and one of my dad's ancient jackets. Pulling on the rubber boots that were still sitting in the garage years after I moved out, I made my way over to the barn. The cows saw me coming, and all 15 of them loped past me to the back of the barn. They were waiting for me as I walked through the gate, black and white heads poking through the openings over the trough. As I grabbed a 50-pound bag of feed from the pile and pulled the thread that held the top together, I couldn't stop thinking about Jeremy. I remembered the feel of his muscles and strong hands as he hugged me. He still smelled like the salt breeze. After years of dating finance bros and tech douches, I'd forgotten how much I liked a guy who worked with his hands. I pulled down one bale of hay, then another, cut the twine binding it, and tossed it into the far end of the trough. Drinks at Backstreet had never sounded so appealing. That night, I hopped in my car and drove back into town. Backstreet was in the alley behind the restaurant where I worked every summer during college and grad school. The small, ancient brick building was a favorite spot for locals. I walked in and glanced around. A voice dripping with southern twang floated over the noise. Well, well, if it isn't our very own Mary B, get your ass over here. It was Linda, the bartender who'd been pouring beer behind that bar for at least 20 years and knew everyone. Linda, it's been a minute, I exclaimed. You used to be a bourbon girl. Is that still true, or are you too fancy for that now that you're a big shot? I laughed. Bourbon will do just fine, Linda. A deep voice behind me said, some things never change. It was Jeremy. You can take the girl out of the country and all that, I said, grinning. Linda, he said, nodding. Linda poured us each a glass of wild turkey and said, this one's on the house. We made our way to a couple of stools in the corner and sat. So, Jeremy said, aren't you going to ask how the rest of my set went since you were too fancy and important to stick around? I furrowed my brow. Since when do you need anyone to inflate your ego further? You had those tourists eating out of your hand. He downed his whiskey in one and signaled to Linda for another. Steel. Would have been nice. I swirled my glass, watching the melting ice mix with the amber liquid. Sorry, we've been working with a client that's needed a lot of hand-holding. Sounds annoying. Not really, I said. They're a really cool organization that works with a lot of grassroots causes doing important work in their community, so the extra work is worth it. Oh, yeah? People who are trying to get this country back on track or some of those leftist yanks? I told in my head, what do you mean by that? Oh, don't be so sensitive. I was only joking. He drained a second drink and moved on to his third. Okay, I said. He sighed. Let's talk about something else. We don't need to get all political. Hey, you're the one who brought up politics. I guess that's fair. There was a tense beat. He finished his third drink, shoving it across the bar for Linda to refill on her next pass. We'd been sitting there all of 15 minutes and he was going through the whiskey like it was apple juice. So far, this was not shaping up to be the romantic Christmas date I'd envisioned. I don't know how you do it, he said. Do what? Live in that big city with all that noise and crime. You should live somewhere like this. You know, safe and quiet. I rolled my eyes. Everyone thinks New York is like Gotham or something. It's really not. It's actually quite a lovely and exciting place to live. He snorted. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Seriously, I said. I mean, if I were here, I wouldn't have been able to build my company. I wouldn't have had the same kind of community of friends that I have there. I wouldn't have had the opportunities to grow. It challenges me, and I meet so many different kinds of people who have all of these amazing stories. Jeremy scowled. 
you think we don't have amazing stories, like we're just dumb, boring hicks who never do anything? I didn't say that. Well, all I'm saying is, if you were here, you'd probably at least be a wife by now, and not all alone with only your job to keep you company. I gaped. When did I say I was alone? I have an awesome group of friends in the city, and we really support each other. We're like family. He stared at me. You really mean that, don't you? Of course I do. He tapped his empty glass on the bar and shook his head. Well, I'm happy for you. I couldn't tell if he was being sarcastic or not. Suddenly, I was homesick for my tiny apartment on my noisy street. I missed quiet evenings in, playing board games or watching movies with my friends. Suddenly, I was reminded of all the reasons I loved my life in New York. I drained the last sip of my glass and put $5 on the counter for Linda. It's been really nice catching up, Jeremy, I said. Yeah, he grunted. I stood up and waved to Linda. Take care of yourself, okay? He looked over at me blearily. You too. I put on my black coat and walked to my car. The night hadn't gone how I expected, but somehow it had gone exactly right. As I drove down the dark country roads, I felt excited for my future, for my work, for my people. Christmas on the farm was always nice, but getting back to the place and the people who had become home was even nicer. It's no secret that many singles feel like outsiders in the church. That's why we've created a Patreon community. For a small monthly fee, you can get access to bonus content, plus a community where your voice and presence are valued. Tiers start at just $5 a month. Sign up at patreon.com slash unsuitable. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at marybeat.safrit. And follow the podcast on Instagram at unsuitablepodcast so you don't miss any updates and highlights. Unsuitable with Mary B. Seyfried is a production of Mary B. Seyfried, LLC, all rights reserved. That's all for now. Catch you on the flippity flop. <laughs>